It's a hard one to kind of navigate through because your inbox is always constantly full of people reaching out with, with sales opportunities. To me, it's probably, you know, I think that the subject line is the most important thing. There's different choices for different different things. Not everything might be about growth. You know, there is some things about brand awareness, which eventually will lead to growth. It might not translate straight away on the bottom line, but it's a longer term objective. And it's really, you know, assessing those, those decisions and, and kind of making sure we're making the right decisions, which is important. Growth we've experienced in the UK over the last 12 months has been phenomenal. Uh, we actually had number one sunscreen product in the UK. Welcome to this week's episode of the How to Sell podcast. I'm your host, Luigi Prestonenzi. I'm joined with my co-host, David. Welcome. Thank you, Louis. Pleasure to <laughs> finally join you now. <laughs> and we have a very, very special guest. Um, we have a guest who has, his, his company's been in the news over the last couple of weeks. He'll tell us a bit about why they've been in the news, but we're really pumped to have the CFO, the COO, so two roles um, for Australia's a big you know, global brand now, Bondi Sands. So welcome, Jacob, to the How to Sell podcast. Thanks, Louis. Thanks, Dave. Uh, pleasure to be with you both and, and talk over the next half an hour. So let's get into it. Yeah, awesome. Now, before we get started, a um, bit of backstory. We were all we all kind of grew up with each other. We played football together, or, or as they call here in Australia, soccer. Um, so, Jacob, the, the rumour has it that you were a better player than Dave. Is that is that correct? Uh, the rumour would be true. And <laughs> it was a the benchmark wasn't very set very high, so... <laughs> <laughs> Louis, you did teach me a lot in between the goals, so ah, I used it for a lot of it. Back I had, in a little, I had a little lot in. Is that yeah. how you uh, I had to blame the defenders. It was never, it was never the goalkeeper's <laughs> fault. It was always the defender's fault. That's right. It's always somebody else. But look, you know, unfortunately you did choose. Hey, why did, why did you choose Spurs, Tottenham, to, to, to go for Tottenham Hotspurs? Like, what? what? You know what? I was, I was moving to London. Um and I was living in North London, so I had two options. I had Arsenal or I had Tottenham. Um, I had a lot of friends that went for Arsenal. And to be honest, excuse the French, but they shitted me up the wall. So <laughs> I, I always liked how Tottenham went about their business. I always enjoyed at least watching Bale during that time. And yeah. you know, I still remember vividly the Champions League game he played against Inter Milan and just tore, tore it to shreds. Um, so, yeah, kind of, yeah had that soft spot for him and living close was easy for me to become a bit of a member there and yeah, yeah Pittsburgh was probably had a good time to be honest it was probably their their, their twilight period um still won nothing but anyway they had a good pack so, <laughs> yeah no. it was no, good to know. be able to yeah, be part of it all that'd be great be, they'll be remembered for heaps you know I, i'm just thinking like what did they like win they just do anything. But they'll be remembered for a lot of good things. <laughs> Up in Germany against two other teams, you know, preseason. We'll hang your hat on that. That's all right. Dave, Dave's team's going to be remembered for cheating. That's right, cheating, cheating. We're not talking about the Italian oh, league. Sorry, sorry. Actually, you know what? We've got to be careful here because this whole podcast could be talked about football. But we get. Let's True get right. to it. So, <laughs> it's not a football podcast. That's right. <laughs> Um, but mate, can you just tell us, so you, you, your company has been in the news for all the right reasons, which is a testament to the hard work of you and, and what the founders have done, which is great because it's a global scale. You've managed to do something incredible. So can you just tell us a bit about, um, you know, what you do in your role at Bondi Sands and, and, and what's been in the news in the last couple of weeks? Yeah. So I guess what has been in the news is that we were acquired by Cal Corporation. 
um, who's a Japanese company who's been around for 180 odd years. Uh, right. They kind of quite, quite diverse in what they do. They've obviously got a huge part in FMCG, really big in salon, hair salon products, uh, but also, you know, make chemicals. So really kind of a, a broad remit. Um, and yeah, uh, ideal partner for us. Um, you know, we've been around now as Bondi Sands for 11 years. Um, launched in the UK in 2015 and then launched in North America in 2019. And to the, you know, the founders, credit both of them, they didn't want to bite off more than they could chew. They really had a, a kind of a tactical approach to the markets, making sure we establish ourselves in one market before moving to the next, um, in particular because it helps at least fund the expansion um, yeah. and making sure they had the right time to kind of enter each market. Um, at the time they started in Australia, it's, it's funny, a lot of people call me now and, you know, after it's been in use, you know, say the congratulations. Um, and it's funny, a lot of them say, you know, when the two boys, the two founders, Sean and Blair, came up to them early days with the idea, they thought they were crazy. They said it'll never work. No one wants to buy that. Um, you know, really trying to say they had no future. Lucky the boys didn't listen to them. Um, yeah. and they insisted with, with what, they, what their gut told them um, and really grew the brand to be the number one South tanning brand in the world. Um, so, yeah, launched the products um, in 11 years ago within Priceline as a retailer and really grown the brand since there. Quickly became, at the time, Latan had 60% market share, Saint-Tropez about 30% market share. As it stands today, you know, we've got 50-odd percent market share in Australia. Latan's wow. about 6%, Saint-Tropez about 13%. So we've really kind of came in the market and, and it's been the same model across all regions. Um, come in the market, wanted to tick three boxes. How can we be affordable, accessible, and have a salon quality product? Um, yeah. And that's really been the mission behind the brand, um, making sure that we're affordable and we're everywhere so people can access it and making sure the product, the quality is good because without a quality product, you're not going to get a repeat purchase. And that's probably the biggest, I guess, the, the biggest, most important thing is a repeat purchase. And depending on your biggest advocates are your, are your customers. Um, and that's probably the cheapest marketing you can do is word of mouth and having a good product really supports that. So that really allowed the brand to launch in the UK in 2015. Made sense to go to the UK first. I guess Bondi Australia really resonates with mm. UK people, always has from a, a travel destination. They understand the lifestyle in Australia. Um, plus, I don't get much sun there and I always want to be tanned. So <laughs> it, made, it, made quite, it made a lot of sense. Um, to go in there in 2015 before going into America, which is obviously the biggest market uh, from a category perspective um, and really making sure we had the success to, to build a brand there because um, America is not an easy market to break into. Um, yeah. A lot of brands have tried and, and haven't succeeded. So we wanted to make sure we kind of gave ourselves the best opportunity. Uh, and in doing so as well, we had to look at how do we, how do we kind of, I guess, future-proof the brand. Now, self-tanning as a category um, you know, isn't the largest category going around. So you could kind of, you know, tap out your potential pretty quick. So what adjacent categories could we launch into that made sense? Um, yeah. And making sense for us was was obviously sunscreen. Um, yeah. And that's where we've really been able to propel ourselves. The category of sunscreen is, is five times the amount of what um, South Tan is, yeah. which, is, which is important. And it's such a, a vital product to an everyday consumer. Um, everyone wants to protect the skin and it's such an important organ to the body. Um, so we've really kind of you know, launched in that sunscreen space um, recently, 
official partner of the Australian Open for the last three years um, and also will be for the next three years, which is which is great news to give the brand that brand credibility, the brand awareness. Um, but, you know, the growth we've experienced in the UK over the last 12 months has been phenomenal. Uh, we actually had the number one sunscreen product in the UK um, in Superdrug over, over this summer as well. So it's a bit of a testament to the brand. And I guess all that combined, you know, it's a... It's an avenue we want to continue to grow the business. We want to be, while well, we're the number one in, in South Tan, how do we become the number one in Suncare globally? Yeah. Uh, and also skincare. How do we grow our skincare portfolio as well? So, you know, for the two founders, it was okay, who is the right partner? And, and you know, for, for the last 10 years, they've been getting knocks on the door of, you know, people who have been interested in the brand. I've obviously seen yeah. the success of the brand from afar and wanted to be a part of it. But again, none of those partners felt right um, until Cal, Cal, Cal came across. Uh, and the synergies that they had with our brand um, really resonated both with with our owners, uh, but also the, the cow the cow team leadership team as well, yeah. which um, was really the I guess the the, the forefront of you know, our partnership and um, them acquiring us, and now it gives us the the power to really you know I guess project the brand globally and enter markets where we haven't been before, and really you know continue our stronghold of not only South Tanning, but really, yeah. really win in that sun care space. Yeah, I love that. And I really appreciate you sharing that. But I think what I just took away from um, what you shared with us, I think there's a lot of there's a misconception here. You're coming at it from that CFO's perspective. But your view on the, the whole conversation that you shared was about growth and, you know, adjacent product lines, etc. And I think sometimes a lot of people fail to recognize that the CFOs are focused on how do they grow, how do they um, propel the business, et cetera. And a lot of the times we think growth minded conversations is only focused from marketing and sales when actually the CFO is in those conversations. Right. So I really, that's what, what my biggest takeaway from that, from that. And, and obviously kudos to you. I know Dave, you've been involved in a, in a startup that, got eventually acquired by a listed firm overseas and you know the work that goes involved in, in, in getting to that point. So I think, mate, that's a massive effort, man. So well done. No, thank you. But yeah. then uh, I think, yeah, to your point there, you know, we started off, I was the eighth employee back, you know, six years ago. We now got 130 globally. So yeah. when you've got such a small team, um, you know, everything has got financial implications. So yeah. you do need to get across every kind of decision because you can't afford when you're a kind of a small company to make too many bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. So it's really important to really, you know, partner closely with the marketing team, partner closely with, with sales to making sure you are making the right choice. Um, now, there's different choices for different, different things. Not everything might be about growth. You know, there is some things about brand awareness, which eventually will lead to growth. It might not translate straight away on the bottom line, but it's a longer term objective. And it's really, you know, assessing those those decisions and, and kind of making sure we're making the right decisions, which is important. So that brings us into, so would you mind sharing um, uh, a story with us of, a, of, of something that you, as a C, as, from a CFO's perspective, you purchased in the last, whether it's 12 or 24 months, something of significance. Um, maybe you can just tell us how did you go about acquiring? Like, what was the process? Who did you need to get involved internally? Or did you have the ultimate say? Um, we'd just love to hear that, hear, hear your perspective on that. 
Pardon the interruption, but I have to let you know about this free resource. The Growth Forum newsletter has over 10,000 subscribers that are learning how to sell. Each and every week, we send you tips, strategies, and also some tools and tech on how to achieve the most out of your sales pipeline. If you're ready to level up, sign up for free at growforum.io forward slash newsletter and get the first issue this week. Yes, I think, and again, probably not purchasing to per se, but you know, we've, we've always established ourselves as a, in our markets with distributors. Yeah. Use distributors to really grow the brand. Um, but you know, over time we've, we thought, well, we're the, we're the category leader. We are the one that wants to be in front of the customer, the, the retailers having these conversations directly. Um, so we've made the, we made the conscious business decision, you know, from July last year to finish in February this year, where we became, we, we removed our distributors in both Australia and the U S and went direct to the retailers. Yeah. Um, and that was really important for the brand. We want to be having those discussions directly with the, the retailers on how we grow the brand, how we make our partnership so strong that we both win. So they're winning from a category, makes the buyer look great. We're winning from a brand. And that's probably, yeah. I guess, a really important thing for us is, is relationships with those buyers. Um, yeah, they turn to us to be, to, to grow the category. Um, so we they see us as those decision makers and with that comes the responsibility um to making sure we're both making the right decisions for our, our, our brand so just having those direct conversations um with the retailers understanding what the marketing plan looks like um really leverages the growth and for us it's all about really about how do we gain additional placement we want to be in a retailer we want to have multiple points of distribution while the aisle is great um, it really, you know, creates your real estate. How do you come? How do you get as in, in across as many people as possible? Yeah. Whether it's counter shelves, end aisle, you know, um, end aisle placements. It's really about gaining additional placement yeah. to get into front as front many customers as possible. Yeah. So, and and I really, pre I actually like, you know, again what you're sharing there because it's about really thinking about how do you get greater exposure. But I want to flip this. So, um, where you had to purchase so from a from a company perspective so from a bondi sands perspective you were making whether you're purchasing a tech platform um whether you're uh, you know purchasing something physical for the business um can you mind just sharing with us like what does that process look like are you the ultimate decision maker or are there multiple people that make a decision as a company to buy something like Definitely. So I think from reality, reality is with our company, you know, marketing is probably our biggest spend. Now, whether that's yeah. in in influencers, partnerships, as in the in Australian Open or, or trade marketing, it, it really is. So, you know, we'll have for example, influencers come across our, our desks on a on a monthly basis on who the, who is the in, you know, who is the who's social media talking about? Who is the hot thing on TikTok? Who's yep. the hot thing on on Instagram? Do we want to engage them? Everything comes at a fee these days. Um, does it make commercial sense to engage them? You know, we've got teams who look after our influencers. So they'll kind of, they'll say, okay, these are the topical people at the moment. This is who we want to engage. They'll kind of then escalate that through the marketing ranks. And effectively, you know, if it is going to be a big investment, we're going to put them on a contract and work with them over a six to 12 month period. They'll really be a proposal to the business um, yeah. and say, okay, this is who it is. This is their engagement. This is the geographical locations of their engagement. And that's important because we want to make sure we're hitting the right people um, in the right area and targeting our 
our demographics as well, um, as well as getting new customers. So we'll look at that. We'll then say, okay, does it make commercial financial sense? Are they going mm. to be speaking to a product? Are they going to be speaking to a range? If it's a new product, then it makes more sense because we want to be promoting this new product. We want to be getting it out there. If they're speaking to a range, just making sure that the synergies that they're talking to makes makes sense. And we are getting effectively, from, from my perspective as a, as a CFO, it always comes back to ROI. Yeah. Are we getting our return on investment? Um, now, with marketing, it's a hard one to gauge. And, yeah. and it really, you know, there is a bit of a, a, a bit of guesswork and a bit of kind of intuition you, you need to take. But ultimately, that that's how it gets my final tick of approval. Now, <clears throat> I don't have the final say. There will be between myself and the owners. You know, sometimes it might be about, it might not all be about, you know, short-term ROI. It might be about brand awareness, building a brand. So you invest in the early days and you get the longer-term success. And that's where sometimes it might not make sense initially on paper, but there is a longer-term objective which we need to make. So realistically, there's kind of, you know, the decisions are made by a few key people, but there's a lot of metrics that we want to see and want to kind of look at to making sure it makes commercial sense. Yeah, that's great, uh, Jake. And look, can you explain, look, what role do you play in confirming spend towards these various campaigns? Have you ever declined spend and, and why? Yeah, we've got really, really strict metrics within the business, which ultimately I'm, I'm the gatekeeper off and I really need to kind of, I guess, control them and have tight reins over them. But within our budgeting, it starts at our budgeting process. Now we've got metrics where we want to spend a percentage of, you know, marketing is really based off a percentage of sales. Mm-hmm. Um, salary and wages is based off a percentage of sales. Without these metrics, things can get away from you pretty quick. Um, and it really just erodes your, your bottom line, which is not you know what any business wants. So we need to say to the, the team, and this is where we kind of empower our team. We say, okay, we're going to give you X percent to spend on marketing. Now you go away, put together what you think is the best use of these funds and come back and present to the business to, to tick off, um, which is all well and true during budgeting. But you get through the year and things transpire they might come back and say, okay, well, we need additional budget. This, oppor- this new opportunities come, we need additional budget. And we're like, we're, the first thing we'll ask, okay, is what incremental sales is it bringing? Because can that fund the marketing spend? Um, if it can't, then it really does become a business decision. Do we need to be spending that? First thing is, okay, if, if it doesn't bring instant revenue, can we save elsewhere? Are there other costs we're willing to cut to do this new activity? Um, if not, then you know there's times and and I guess unless it's really a directive from the business, we'll just say no to the spend. You know the business isn't willing to invest in it um, if it's not going to bring incremental benefit. Uh, and again, you know, as a CFO, I'm always kind of the bad guy. I'm always you know pulling back spend. You give you know, marketing is the one that just wants to spend everything. Um, but, you know, I've, I guess I've I've seen that I've seen that evolve since when I first started. Um, really making our marketing team a lot more commercial with the decisions they're making um, to understand what the ROI is, understand is it the best use? And and I guess the first port of call, yeah, if it's not if it's not going to bring incremental, incremental sales, can it come at the expense of other activity? Is it going to have a better uplift than other activity proposed um, before they even come to us with a kind of an out-of-budget proposal to, to review? Hmm. Mate, you know what, there's a, there's a lot of actually key benefits or key takeaways from what you just shared, right? Because I think the questions that you're asking of what are the incremental benefits, I think sometimes from what I hear, 
when people are going to the CFO for that extra budget, they're not thinking about those questions and they go in underprepared, which doesn't give confidence. I mean, you've seen that a couple of times in your role, I can only assume. Yeah, no, definitely. I think in, you know, throughout the six, you know, the six years I've been here, it's evolved. Yeah. Um, it's rewarding too, because you're right. The first, the first few times I'll just spend it all cost and not understanding what it was doing. And, and probably again, some of it is not having the tools to measure what the ROI yeah. is either. Um, so now we've got those tools, we've got the data, we've got the, the, the know-how to really kind of put that together and say, well, you know, if we go ahead with this proposal, we expect it to bring in incremental sales. Now, again, there's no crystal ball. People are, you know, are using, I guess, the data at their hand to make those yeah. decisions, which is great. I think where what the most important thing is as well is really kind of, you know, post 60, 90 days, do a campaign review and really understand, yeah. okay, this is what our proposal was. This is what we said the ROI was. Post implementation and going live, really what was the outcome? Because, and it's not, you know, good or bad. I'll say you're wrong in doing it. It's really lessons learned because those lessons are invaluable because either you'll make those decisions again because they, they work tremendously or they didn't work. And you'll, you won't go back with the same proposal. You'll tweak it and understand what worked, what didn't work and how you can do something better the next time. Yeah. And so this is good. So, so if, if, if a team member was coming to you outside of the budgetary process, right, they're asking for money that you haven't allocated in the budget. And like you said, your decision-making process is you look at if it's important, you look at maybe taking it from somewhere else. Um, do you want them to come to you with a business case? Like, is it a one pager you're looking for? Um, do, you, do you mind just walking us through what are you expecting your team to share with you to give you the confidence to say, yes, I'm willing to give you this money? Yeah. So it, it's a, a one, two pager presentation effectively saying, okay, this is the opportunity at hand. Yeah. Um, but it needs to tick, you know, it needs to tick commercial boxes. And we've got, I guess, you know, wider than that, we've got a stage gate committee where all these opportunities get presented to us. Now, this yeah. is, these are more retailer opportunities and then marketing opportunities, but there's people on the stage gate committee from a, a variety of, of backgrounds. We have, we have a marketing representation, a sales representation, a finance and a commercial representation on, on this, on this committee, uh, where the regions will pitch their ideas. Um, but, as a committee, we need to kind of vote and, and understand, okay, is this a viable opportunity? Is it one that we want to proceed with? And we'll have a, a kind of a, a traffic light system where, you know, a red is no, we don't want to prepare, um, proceed. Orange is we need some more information or green is go ahead and get it. Um, and I think that's an important step to have in the business because it does need to have multiple lenses on there. Um, yeah. Yes, it's got to make financial and commercial sense, but brand, Marketing needs to make sure it's hitting their objectives, what our global objectives are, and and in sales um, as well, making sure that we are getting the best return on it. What what does the time process look like for that? Like an opportunity, I'm a staff member in that say in the marketing team. I've been pitched this new tech platform to help us with X Y Z. I've put a two page together. I've given it to you, presented it. How long does things take within your organisation? I think that's probably one of the benefits of our organization. It's always been a strength is our speed to market and our fast pace. Um, and again, that's probably coming off the back of being a privately run company where mm. you haven't got a lot of hoops to jump through. We can have an idea from a product perspective and have it on shelf within 12 months. Um, we can have an idea from a marketing perspective and have that influencer posting within three, five days. Um, now we've, we've probably got better in that process over time, 
but we have a, a fortnightly stage gates um, meeting. Now, if there's no new ideas, we'll cancel that meeting, but it gives everyone an opportunity and a platform to bring their ideas to the table for us to review. Um, and we, you know, we really aim to have feedback turned around within two weeks. Uh, yeah, now, good. depending on the scale of the project, might need mm -hmm. some extra approvals um, from, you know, director's sign off, or it might need some, you know, a bit more planning before it can be executed. But speed to market has always been one of our strengths. Nice. And look, Jake, I, I like to understand if sellers have reached out to you directly, whether it be via cold email or cold phone. And if so, what's uh, trigger, what triggered you to accept the request and um, pick up the phone and speak to them or email or get into a meeting? Yeah, good question, Dave. It's, you know, your inbox, it's a hard one to navigate through because your inbox is always constantly full of, of people, you know, reaching out with, with sales opportunities. Um, to me, it's probably, you know, I think that the subject line is the most important thing. You know, you can get a good understanding of what they're trying to pitch within that subject line. Um, and obviously, you know, within my role as CFO, COO, I understand where the brand, where the business wants to go or, or where our where our investment needs to be and, you know, the best use of our time. So for me, if the subject aligns to what the company objectives are, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, definitely consider it further uh, or forward it on to the necessary people. But um, yeah, it's really got to, again, align. You haven't got, you know, you haven't got much time to capture someone's attention. Yeah. Um, so you're not sure you're hitting the right points yeah. in that kind of initial impression yeah. uh, to engage. Do you have a great product, but are struggling to reach more customers? Are you spending hours on sales activities that aren't generating results, leaving you feeling frustrated and discouraged? The Sales OS program is a step-by-step -step operating system that will help you slash your selling hours in half while rapidly growing your revenue. In under just two weeks, you can be well on your way to creating predictable revenue. In Sales OS, we'll show you how to build predictable sales pipeline, build lasting relationships with your customers, and sell more in less time. The art of negotiation and motivating and leading a successful sales team. If this sounds like something that you need in your business, visit growforum.io forward slash sales and apply to see if you have the right mindset to achieve predictable revenue. The Sales OS program is your ticket to predictable revenue. Don't wait any longer, apply today. So if, if and, and, and don't want to put words in your mouth, right? But if, if you were, obviously your, your email, as you said, is getting pretty hammered. Um, are you looking for somebody to pitch or if somebody was saying, sharing insight or saying, Hey, I've got some insight about X, um, would love to share this. I mean, cause I was recently at a conference where I spoke to a lot of CFOs and they were saying, look, we don't have a, we don't have all the answers. We're actually, we are looking for education yeah. and that's, that's what we need in order to help us progress and manage certain issues that we're we're encountering is that similar to where you're at and and yeah definitely well, i think we've you know internally we've always had a, a saying where we're, we're data rich but insights poor uh yeah. we've got all this great data at our fingertips but are we getting the best insights out of it and i think to your point there if someone can say well someone who's an expert within that data and translating those insights can be impactful to you in your inbox um and say this is what we're seeing um it's definitely engaging because you know from my perspective, I'm engaged more when it's when it comes to numbers and data. Um, that's what I prefer to see. Then a long-winded email saying this is what we can do, make it impactful, get in front of you, 
um, you know, I, I do love data and interpretation. So I resonate with that a lot stronger. Yeah, awesome. And what's been on, on the flip side there? What have you just thrown out into the bin, ignored? Like, do you, is, is persistence uh, something that you appreciate or hate if you haven't responded? Oh, okay. uh, Probably my pet hate is people try to, you know, especially as rolling CFO, is try to get you, you know, hook you in for, you know, FX trading um, and, and <laughs> use their platform to do our international trading. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, I've, I reckon I've had, that's probably probably my, yeah, my biggest pet hate is because yeah, it's something we do review occasionally, but they're all the same. Um, you're not going to be saving too much more. And I think to get to a point where convenience and, and familiarity is the okay. winner there as well. Well, just just as an FYI, Jacob, Carl Valeri, I was going to refer him to you because he works for Convera, but we'll tell him. <laughs> Don't talk to Jacob. <laughs> Don't need another one, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, mate, this has been awesome, and I know that you know we don't want to. We, we, I think we've covered a lot, and obviously. Mm. Um, at the at the uh, at the end of this episode, we actually go into a, another a fireside chat. Dave and I are going to break this down for our audience. But um, I just want to say, look, really, really appreciate your insights here. I think for me, um, I'm going to have to listen to this back because there were so many key takeaways around you know the way you think, the ROI, the, the way you're educating. I'm also hearing that you're you're really educating your internal team on how you need to what information you need, how you need to see it in order to make decisions especially around that commercial component. So mate, I just want to say, um, you know, really appreciate you coming on, spending some time with Dave and I, um, sharing your story about what Bondi Sands was able to achieve because it's massive. And I think for every entrepreneur out there that's trying to build a brand, what Bondi Sands have done is fantastic because it just goes to show, like you said, a lot of people say it can't be done until they show it can be done. And I think this is another great story um, to show people that anything's possible when you put your mind to it. So Dave, any, any last comments before we let Jacob go? No, just like to say, thanks, Jake. I've seen Jake on his journey throughout the six years of working at Bondi Sands and to see the, the growth that he has had a big impact on. Um, just so proud uh, of looking from the outside as, as a friend. So well done, Jacob, and look forward to seeing what you tackle next within the business. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. No, thanks, Louis. Definitely enjoyed the chat. No, no. And where's the best place for our listeners to find you? Are you LinkedIn, Instagram? Yeah, probably LinkedIn uh, is better. Um, yeah. yeah so Jacob Maraca, uh, you'll find me there. All right. We'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, thanks, mate. Good luck to the Matildas coming up tonight. I know Go our listeners will probably watch this later so they'll know the result. And good luck to the Spurs. You know what? I've never been a Spurs fan. But this year I will because our, our great Australian coach, Ange, is there and he's, he's right. going to do amazing things. So hopefully, hopefully, mate, you guys get get to put a trophy in that trophy cabinet. It'd be soon. nice. It's pretty cool. <laughs> It'd be nice. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Great. Thanks, both. See ya. Dave, what a, what a session. Yeah, that was great. Jacob's got such great experience being there from the, almost day one to where it is today. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things too is that he didn't touch on in the early days, they would have been making decisions based on, you know, what at that stage would have been small spend to now at the scale that they are, you know, his decisions would be in the multi-means of dollars too when they're mm -hmm. making, you know, buying and purchasing decisions. So, yeah, 
great, great, amazing story. Yeah, I think I think the other key takeaway, right, that I really, really liked hearing was, you know, when he's looking at marketing or when somebody's asking him for cash or money mm-hmm. outside of that budgetary process, they're asking what are the incremental benefits? So he's not just a CFO. Like a lot of people have this feeling, oh, the CFO is there to cut costs, et cetera. He's saying, no, tell me what is the benefit? Like what is the net benefit going to have to our business so that I can justify the, you know, and say there's a good return on investment, we should be spending this money. So, I, And I think for me, that's very encouraging, yeah, because again, so a lot of salespeople go, oh, no, the CFO is getting involved. We should be going, okay, great that the CFO is getting involved. Let's actually show him the benefit that this solution, this product, this service is going to have on the business. Yeah, agreed. Like oh, I, can, I can attest to that. I've been a CMO back in locomote days, gone to the CFO. When we had to go to... Uh, when we had to go to her, I was always with that connotation of Crap, she's going to cut the budget or yeah. ask. But it was the opposite. She was very, yeah. uh, this was Pip uh, back in the day. She she was very positive and was always like, how is this going to help grow the company? What can yeah. we do to help? What more funds do you do you need to help grow? So it was, mm. it was a very humbling experience to learn that, you know, I just put that persona on the cut person and look in the save where yeah. their job is easier if the company's growing. Yeah. Um, Actually, and also pick up, look, the other big takeaway as well, Rose, like, you know, him having to educate his team on what he needed um, to get, you know, that business case, that two pager, right. And what needed to be in that two pager, which I think another big takeaway from me is, people within a business looking to get that money don't always know what information the CFO needs. And sometimes, you know, from how to sell, which we, I think we need to talk about, right? It's don't assume that your champion, the person that you're talking to knows how to get this process or how to get the budget secured. And this is where we as a sales professional need to maybe talk to our to our champion and say, hey, get an understanding of how many projects have they brought up to them and got signed off before. Because, and this is where the pass-based question comes in. Because if they haven't done this before and we're not preparing them to say, well, what is a CFO actually needing? So before you go up there and get that final budget you know, request, put that budget request in, maybe add a step to the process to ask, hey, before I come to you with this business case, what information do you need from me to help you make this decision? You know, we're, we're all about operating systems within yep. GrowFlow. You know, our premier course is Sales OS. I reckon here, once we go through and have more interviews with CFOs, mm. what we can do for our, our community is build out a bit of a CFO uh, yep. system where here are the things that CFOs want when they're, yep. being, when they're looking at opportunities to ensure that people that are selling to them mm. have the right information, a bit of a playbook, micro playbook yeah. for them on how to sell to CFOs. Absolutely. But, but again, and, and I think from my perspective, right, I think it's absolutely fundamental. In sales, we can sometimes be so focused on trying to get to the decision Correct. where sometimes you've got to actually slow the process down and think and, and go look at those micro steps and say, hang on a second, this is why it's critical for us to, to seek an understanding from our champion or the buying committee, if we're talking to multiple people, find out what information, like what do they know about their internal buying process? And if there is a CFO or if there's somebody in that role that is going to be making, you know, making a key 
they've got a key influence over the decision-making process, don't just go to them and say, hey, this is what we need, is like I said, put that step in to find out what do they need before putting together that final business case, right? So for me, that's, that's a big takeaway from Jacob. And I think what we need to do in some of our other episodes is let's understand, let's keep, keep going down the path mm. of understanding how do they view, what lens are they putting on decisions, what information do they need to capture so that we can really create that right business case. And I think the other key thing that I took away, I, I loved how Jacob shared his view on growth right? He really did understand the business, how they make money, the markets. Like you could see that he's been involved in conversations that are just not about cost cutting, right? No. And look, that's why Bondi Sanders are where they are today and hence why mm. they got that exit. But let, let, let's, um, let's do a little exercise here, if we, if we may. How would you, you know, yeah. being, you know, the, the sales godfather, uh, the <laughs> Uh, how, how would you sell to Jacob, right? Pick a product that you're that you're pitching to them, and you're doing a a cold email or even a cold call yeah. based on what you've just heard. Um, how would you approach it with Jacob? Well, I think you could probably break this down into stages of growth, right? Like if you think about, you know, Jacob mentioned when they first started going to the UK, um, you would have look have, having followed Jacob for a number of years, obviously not just because we you know, we've grown up together, right? But having followed his journey on LinkedIn, there were noticeable times with, you know, some of the things that he was doing on his post that we knew that he was going to the UK. So what's that telling you? There's an, it's telling you that the business was looking to grow outside of Australia. So during those, if I was reaching out to him during that stage, the whole narrative around that would have been, hey, understand, you know, the business is making a... Uh, making an intentional effort of growing into the new, you know, into the UK market. And it's a new market for you. Got some great insights on what other companies have done to grow in X market. Love to share those with you, right? Mm -hmm. um, that would be my, my messaging framework because A, it's a new market, probably hasn't done it before. Um, yes, he has a strategy, but there's also things he doesn't know. Probably a bit of fear sitting behind it as well. What if it doesn't work? Right, because there's consequences, yeah? yeah. So now, obviously, when you develop that type of point of view, you've got to have that insight to share, yeah? So if I haven't got the insight, then don't lead with that, right? Yeah. But I have the insight, obviously, because I've worked with companies that have gone into different markets and I've got that insight that I can share. So that would have been my, my strategy in reaching out, um, not a strategy of pitching, a strategy of – really helping saying there's probably some information gaps that you've got and I want to help fill those information gaps just to help you understand what you might, might you might not have considered. Yeah. So that would have been my outreach message. Um, but flipping it, say I was in that position, I had that conversation, whether it was Jacob or say it was with their chief marketing officer and it was about spending money in understanding what Jacob shared about how he, who he would, you know, influence that decision-making process that has always been part of my process when we're building that initial discovery document when we're building that scoping document we always start to think about what are those roi metrics and he he was very clear about it yeah he said we've got some key metrics that we need to you know run through before making any decision 
And so the questions that I would have been asking the CMO would be, you know, around what do the numbers need to look like in order for this to get across the line? So you're asking what are the metrics they need to hit? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So that, that's, that's what needs to be, you know, in the two-page business case, right? We need to know what is the current state? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you going as a business? And what do those metrics need to look like? Like what does success look like? And let's define those metrics. That needs to be on that business case. Yeah. And then having an action plan. As part of that action plan, it would be to go and validate those numbers with the right people because potentially CMO or the marketing team might say, hey, this is what we think are the numbers that we need to hit. We need to get that validated, right? And go by and, and go and ask Jacob to say, mm-hmm. can you validate these numbers before we put this in the final business case? Yeah. Just that alone, the confidence from Jacob's perspective would have gone up because it means yeah. before marketing is going to ask for cash, they're actually asking some questions about those commercial metrics. Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. So that for me is how I would be selling to Jacob. That's the exact blueprint and the exact process that I would take to go to the head of marketing or whoever is my sponsor and then to the final decision maker, which would be Jacob, to say, hey, based on what we've presented, you know, here's the business case on why we need to get that money and why you might need to take that money away from something else. And this is another key thing, I think, for all of our audience, um, Dave, they need to really think about to take away. He actually said it. He, he was very clear about it. If I'm going to spend on something we haven't budgeted for, I'm potentially going to take it from somewhere else. Yeah. And that somewhere else could be another stakeholder's budget in the business. So that could create competitive tension within the organization. So if the head of sales or the head of marketing is asking for X, and Jacob's like, yeah, I can take that from maybe the tech team or IT, all of a sudden now, IT has got its backup. They're defensive. They might not want money to be taken away. So they will become the anti-sponsor, right? They're going to be the ones that are going to be in the ear of the CFO to say, this is why you shouldn't be doing that. And these are the unheard conversations that a seller is not aware of. Yes, absolutely. And we need to be asking those questions in the sales process, right? Because if we're not asking those questions about, hey, just in understanding that the budgetary process has already been done and you're going to be asking for additional budget, do you mind me asking, where would this budget come from? Hmm. Like, What part of the business might he take that from? But then what would you do with that information? Well, okay, well, how are you going to go about, you know, working through that if it becomes if it becomes a challenge where the other the other member of the team starts to push back on why you shouldn't do this project, why other projects are a priority. Yeah. So does this then help you evaluate whether this deal is likely to close or likely to get pushed back more and helps you with your pipeline confidence of that deal, yeah. But even further, it's about going, well, okay, well, what is the plan if if we're gonna if, if we are gonna have pushback? How are we going to turn, how are we going to work through that? Yeah, okay. What other members of the team can help help navigate that or help become your internal sponsors, right? Or potentially, will that become a roadblock? Because that's where the strategy comes through. And I'm not talking about five grand deals here, yeah? I'm talking yeah. about deals that have a lot more complexities where there's a lot more stakeholders. Just like Jacob said, they're getting access of, of funding from somebody else's department. 
Nice. But this is all stuff. We'll continue to validate this. So, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we've got more CFO conversations um, that we're going to have so that we can really build out the playbook. And Dave, what's the best place for our audience and our listeners? Where should they go next to get more of this content? Perfect. All you need to do is go to growforum.io forward slash newsletter. Sign up there. You get a free eight-day micro course and you get updates on every new episode that we come out. So one email a week of all the new juice that's coming out of Growth Forum, as well as that free eight-day micro sales course. Awesome. And, and also, look, we're all about this How to Sell podcast is all about helping you sell more, right? Helping, helping, help, making it easier for you to engage with the different buyers across you know, across the different industries and across the, the hierarchy that you're looking to engage with. So let us know if there's a particular buying profile um, that you're struggling with or that you want to get more engagement from, um, whether it's procurement, let us know. Hit me up on the DMs in LinkedIn. Tell me, Luigi, I'd love to learn more about this person because we're going to go out there and we have, we have got an, an incredible amount of um, CFOs We've got CMOs, we've got head of enablement, head of RevOps, we've got different roles that we are interviewing so that we can help you sell and really um, shift the perspective so that it's not seller's focused, it's buyer's focused. So let us know, we design this content to help you be the very best sales professionals you can be.